Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. I was in such pain and fatigue that I couldn't even get out of bed for months. And that's when I stumbled into the ketogenic diet while I was going to school working on my master's in nutrition. We're metabolically damaged instead of metabolically flexible. And this leads to mitochondrial dysfunction where we're basically insulin resistant or glucose intolerant over time. If you want to become truly fat adapted and get deeper into ketosis, then you have to keep your carbs extremely low, but you keep protein at a moderate level, like below 25% of your calories. Okay, before we jump into this interview, I wanna invite you to be considered for my 2019 Traveling Mastermind. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com and fill out the application and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a great fit. This year, we'll be in Boston doing lots of cool things like training with Tom Brady's trainer, Alex Guerrero. In the middle of the year, we'll be heading to Monaco doing things like vintage car rides through the French Riviera. And then we're going to wrap the year in Florence, Italy, doing things like truffle hunting and hot air ballooning over Florence. Look, Life is all about fulfillment, and I really try and walk the walk. So if you are looking to be part of our tribe of 28 high-achieving entrepreneurs that are in the six- and seven-figure range, fill out your application at workhardplayhardmastermind.com to be considered. So think of the mastermind as having two parts. The first is the trip itself. And the second part is what goes on over the four days within the mastermind. Our group of 28 entrepreneurs will help you brainstorm and accelerate what you want to achieve in 2019. And we'll do that through a variety of different exercises, brainstorming activities, breakout sessions, goal setting sessions, you know the drill. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a fit. All right, let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. This episode features Sean Wells. You can find him on Instagram and elsewhere at Zone Halo. And I asked him about that. I asked him why his handle is Zone Halo. You're going to have to listen to the episode to find out why. It's an interesting story. Who is Sean? So Sean has triumphantly battled Epstein-Barr virus, chronic fatigue syndrome, Hashimoto's, fibromyalgia, depression, insomnia, obesity, and a pituitary tumor, to name a few. His health journey led him to ultimately become a fellow in the International Society of Sports Nutrition and a nutritional biochemist. He has been on some of the top podcasts like on it, Ben Greenfield's and Mark Sisson's Primal Blueprint. So Sean has over 20 years experience on the keto diet. His credentials and accolades landed him in a prominent role in the 2018 documentary called The Skinny on Fat. And he was named a leading expert on keto by Fox News. He's also known as the world's greatest formulator 
He's now formulated over 500 products. All right. So why did I want to have Sean on the show? I wanted to have him on the show because I really want to understand what a keto diet is, what a paleo diet is, what's the difference? Should I consider doing one of them myself? It's all the rage these days. And after we got through those definitions, um, we had a really interesting conversation about some of the intangibles that I hadn't thought of. For example, we talked about why here in Italy, where I am at the recording of this, the Italians don't look like Tony Soprano. And he explained that our body metabolizes unprocessed food very, very differently. Uh, we covered a lot of grounds, and I really think you will love the interview. I think you'll love Sean. And I think that this will provide a lot of value for you. So please enjoy this conversation I had with Sean Wells. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. You know, I got to tell you, man, th there was a lot of satellites in space that had to be moved to make this thing happen today. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're working on it, but we're here. You know, I tell you what's interesting. So for the people listening, we are both strangely and weirdly enough in Italy simultaneously. And uh, we tried to do it when I was, uh, we tried to record the podcast when I was in uh, Southern Italy a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I learned a lot about making sure you buy your own router versus using the router that's in uh, your hotel or Airbnb. So, uh, so I went to the store, got the router, and uh, we are ready to make this happen. So thank you for your patience. Absolutely. I'm excited to be on. So I'm excited to do this interview with you, too. And here's why. I've been trying to understand what keto is, what keto isn't, what the difference between that and paleo is, and blah, blah, blah. So I can't wait to get a proper education from somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. You are the expert in this world. So I appreciate you uh, billing, being willing to sort of go through this with me. But I, I like to uh, start at the beginning. But before I do, a little uh, disclaimer. I am recording this in Florence on my rooftop outside intentionally because I want to I wait for the church bells to ring and I want to record it. I think it's going to be cool. So we're going to make it really, really Italian today. Cool? Nice. Yeah, I love that. And uh, I'm, in, uh, okay. I'm in Sardinia, uh, a blue zone. So that's very beautiful here. Are you, are you in the blue zone because you intentionally wanted to be in the blue zone or did, it, or did, or did that happen another way? Uh, happened another way. A foreign exchange student of mine uh, lives here, and but it just is coincidental because obviously I'm into longevity. Okay. Okay. Got it. All right. So let's start at the beginning. You are a New Englander like my wife is. She's from Manchester, New Hampshire. And Every time she sees somebody from New England, I don't know what it is with you guys, but you're always like, oh my God, you're from New England. It's like you just saw one of your kinds. Um, I'm still trying to figure out the accent or how to pronounce half those words, but uh, your dad was in the Navy, if I, understand, if I did my research correctly, and you bounced around quite a bit and you found yourself eating a bunch of junk food, gaining weight, stepping into depression. Can you sort of unpack that initial story for me just a bit. 
Yeah, exactly. That's it. Uh, I grew up a, a junk food junkie, uh, a little bit of uh, chaos, you know, growing up. And I was bullied quite a bit at, at school, uh, laughed at for my weight, which was just a downward spiral. I was a smart kid and did well in school, but uh, a lot of depression. And uh, eventually I went to business school because everyone told me I should just do business. And that would be the smartest thing. I went to Babson, which is in New England, uh, Wellesley, Massachusetts, uh, number one business specialty school. And uh, that was great, but it wasn't my passion exactly. I, I did marketing, which I do love. But I think about halfway through my time at Babson, I started working out, getting in better shape. Creatine had come out. I was reading some magazines on weightlifting and looking at a book called Optimum Sports Nutrition, spending a lot of time in the GNCs and reading the labels. And I went to my doctor for a physical in between my sophomore and junior year. And I was telling him all about my new excitement. And he looked at me and could see I was excited. And he drew out this lifeline. And he told me, why not be happy between here and here? And I was 20 and 80. And that forever changed my path that someone of his caliber of, of career and intelligence was telling me to go chase my passion. I mean, other people could tell me that, but it didn't seem to have the gravity of him telling me in that exact moment. And so I did finish up business school, but I decided to go back to school based on what he was saying to try and become a formulator of supplements. So Babson you know, is one of, for people who don't know Babson, I've had some friends who've gone there. It's ranked... I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's ranked above Harvard, Wharton, and Sloan. Is that right? Yeah, for, for a number of programs. It's the number one business specialty school in the country and for like entrepreneurship and, and several programs, it's, it is ranked above those, yeah. I mean, so it's incredible. I mean, it's a lot to be proud of there. And then, you know, you've got this triggering event with the, with the doc. What was it, or or was it just that event that you just described that got you from business into biohacking? Was it was it just the conversation with the doc that just sort of hit that nerve? No, it was you know it was the the excitement of I literally like some people might spend time playing video games or time uh, in a library or whatever. Like for me, like I was giddy spending time, like hours and hours in these supplement shops or reading the magazines. And then I started working at the supplement shops. And so I could spend even more time looking at the labels and probably not being arrested, <laughs> some loitering and just reading the magazines while I was at the desk, helping people with all my knowledge that I had been reading and accumulating. And then you know, as websites continued to grow, I was spending a lot of time on these message boards, like learning and sharing my knowledge on supplements and nutrition and what worked with fitness and what didn't, obviously, because I was broken, you know, and I think my idea here of, of my why is that I come from a place of passion and understanding, trying to fix myself. And that's where I was trying to, you know, biohack. And that's, 
we didn't call it that then, but that's me trying to fix myself. And then through all that, through the passion of working on myself, uh, came me loving helping other people because I was such an expert on all these different topics because I was trying to fix my depression and fix my uh, obesity and trying to get in shape. And then I ended up getting into uh, Chapel Hill later, but I had to go back to school to get all the classes I needed. And just like this one guy gave me my dream, this, this doctor, because, uh, you know, like there's such power in your words. Sometimes you don't even know the power that you're having on people. Uh, I went to UNC Greensboro because my parents had moved down to North Carolina and I could go in state. And I wanted to go to Chapel Hill. That was my dream school for my master's in, in nutrition. And so UNC Greensboro was a great school for me to get all the classes I needed. But I needed about two straight years of sciences, about 26 credit hours a semester. It's an insane amount. And this guidance counselor told me, you're a business student, you're going to fail, and you're going to fail miserably, and quite frankly, you're not even in that good of shape. And mm. it broke me, it, you know, just like this one guy gave me my dream, that almost took away my dream, and I almost committed suicide that night, uh, because that was... That was like my sole focus, my sole passion. I felt like, you know, God parted the clouds and, you know, gave me my why. And then all of a sudden someone was taking it away. And now I was purposeless in life. And luckily I did not kill myself. I had considered using pills and alcohol to, to take myself out that night. But uh, luckily I soldiered through and, gave me my resolve. I thought of that guy every single day through those two years, got straight A's. And luckily I got into Chapel Hill and got my master's and, and I, I was on my way. But while I was at Chapel Hill, I ended up getting uh, a host of autoimmune issues. I got mono Epstein-Barr virus and that leveled me for several months, and it ended up leading into chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, fibromyalgia, Hashimoto's, like a number of autoimmune issues. And I was in such pain and fatigue that I couldn't even get out of bed for months. And that's when I stumbled into the ketogenic diet while I was going to school working on my master's in nutrition. So that was kind of the birth of that. So Really, like a lot of these things that I do are me trying to fix what is wrong with me. But now I've come to appreciate that these things, my, my, my broken is my beautiful. Like I really have come to not only accept it, but feel like this is the, what gave me why, my why. This is who I am. And if I didn't have these things come up, if I didn't have these health issues, then I wouldn't be the world's greatest formulator. Then I wouldn't be a biohacker. Then I wouldn't be stepping on stage and, and on TV talking about keto, like if I didn't have all this stuff. So I'm actually so thankful that I have this and I have a platform and I can connect with people and help them. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, at, at the time, I'm sure you're like, I can't believe that this guy said this. I'm at the, you know, the edge of 
you know, potentially committing suicide. But actually, when you look at that time in your life, you know, sort of like through the lens of hindsight being 2020, who's to say that it wasn't the impetus that got you to radically change your life? You know, God, God willing, you didn't go, you didn't go there, but look at what's come out of that massive adversity. And, you know, not even to say what you had to overcome, you know, physically going through both of those things. You know, they say God's yeah. delays and not God's, God's denials, right? So right. Um, without him, I wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. Without him, I probably wouldn't be where I'm at, where I'm at as well. You know, it seems highly negative and and was frustrating at the time, and and I almost took my life. But through him, I had resolve to really push forward. Um, so yeah, absolutely. That that was that was a turning point for sure. All right. So now here you are, you go to UNC at Chapel Hill, you get your master's in public health. I'm always a little bit confused about what public health means. I I kind of like think of it as vaccines, like protecting, you know, the public from things like vaccines. Uh, am Am I off here or is that kind of what that is? No, it's, that's somewhat accurate. It, it's it's looking at health on a on a global scale and trying to impact things on that level. So, like programs like epidemiology, things like uh, breastfeeding, clean water, uh, public policy uh, are often pieces of public health. The public health school at UNC Chapel Hill was also tied into the medical school, so. It's, it's since it's a public school, it's just trying to impact global health uh, on, on larger issues. Okay. So before we dig into keto, a lot of the, uh, the questions come up around things like immunizations. Um, and if you're open to discussing it, is there, you know, there's so many people that are just going both ways on these kinds of things. And I was just wondering what your thoughts are on it. If you're, you know, sort of like educated enough or want to talk about it, what, what's your thoughts in that world? Because these questions keep coming up. You know, I'm an evidence-based person and I try and keep my, you know, personal biases out of it. So it's not always, sometimes what I would do isn't always what I would recommend or vice versa. Like it's, the evidence right now says there's more positive that comes from vaccinations than ill. Yeah. I think there's a lot of negative press around vaccinations. And I think certainly there's cases where people might be immunocompromised, where it could uh, add to that and, and cause issues. And I think we need to look at specific cases and, and really delve in. And there's specifically mercury-based uh, vaccinations that I was reading that could be certain vaccinations have more problems than other vaccinations. And it's kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater that maybe some of these vaccinations that have uh, a way of being processed with mercury might have more issues to your health. But I don't know that vaccinations in general are bad. And it seems like if we look at, you know, what's happened in history, that vaccinations have, have certainly been more helpful than not. 
And when, especially again, when you look at a populational level of like some of these outbreaks and things that are happening, it can, it can make a massive difference, you know, with things like polio or things that aren't an issue anymore, thanks to, thanks to vaccination. So I'm not part of the uh, anti-vax crowd, but I'm not like saying that it's all good either. You know, just like antibiotics, there's, if you look at again in history, when we stumbled into using antibiotics, there's so much benefit that came from that. But now maybe there's some better ways to approach it because an antibiotic is kind of like a nuke in that it, yes, it kills bad bacteria, but it also kills good bacteria. So yeah. There's, so there's better stuff ways on, to maybe approach it, you know? Yeah, there's stuff on both sides of that street. I see that. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about keto. That's that's your lane. God, where do you go down? I mean, we've got everybody from, you know, Mark Sisson to Keto Guido, right? We've got everybody <laughs> all along the line. So one of the questions that comes up a lot for me is I don't want to do, people ask, I don't want to do keto because I'm going to have to um, pee on the stick. Another another person will say, "Well, yeah, you know, you're calling it you're calling it keto, but it's really not keto. You're not going in ketosis. You're just cutting carbs." So maybe you can kind of like start there. Yeah, sure. So first off, I don't consider it a diet. I consider it a lifestyle. As soon as you use the word diet, then you start using that mentality of it's eight to twelve weeks. It's a crash thing. It's a way to lose weight. Um, and certainly people can lose weight on uh, a ketogenic, quote unquote, diet. But to me, ketosis is more about tapping into this alternate fuel that we were probably using 50% of the time. So it's not a new fad. It's something that we've lost along the way that's very primal. When we were eating even a high carb diet, we still could have been in ketosis quite a bit because of foods being high fiber, low glycemic, starches being uh, what's called resistant starches. So if you were to eat a raw potato or a green banana, it has no glycemic impact. And then if we were exercising back then, we just called it manual labor and hunting and digging things up and you know preparing the food and trying to find food. And then Instead of fasting, we called it starving because we were looking for food. Sometimes we couldn't find food for several days. And the great thing about ketosis is that the brain actually prefers this as a fuel source and it creates alertness. And this makes sense if you are starving and you need to find food and you need to hunt down that uh, animal. You need to, like, let's say if you haven't ate for a couple of days, you want to be sharp. And it also is anti-catabolic, which means it protects lean body mass. It protects muscle. So instead, you're utilizing more fat for fuel and sparing muscle because muscle is the most important thing that you need to survive. So this is the miracle of ketosis that we've kind of lost track of. We used to be very dual fuel, very metabolically flexible, where we could tap into glucose and we could tap into ketones. But now, because we're eating all the time, 
We don't fast anymore. We're eating every three, four hours, and we're eating high glycemic carbohydrate. We're eating ultra-processed food. We're not exercising as much. Then all these things have led into us just being purely glucose-dependent, and now we're metabolically damaged instead of metabolically flexible, and this leads to mitochondrial dysfunction where we're basically insulin resistant or glucose intolerant over time because we're not exercising enough because we're eating all the time because we're getting high glycemic carbohydrate and this food is high bliss point food that makes us overeat it and it triggers dopamine and serotonin and the ultra processed food is literally engineered so that we override satiety signals that we don't feel full and we just you can't eat just one you you know once you pop you can't stop and that kind of thing so the 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 miracle quote unquote of keto is that it gives us this alternate fuel source and helps fix the broken aspects of our metabolism that we feel like not only is it is it you know fixing body fat but it can fix. That's why we're hearing about it with cancer, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, depression, all these things, because mitochondrial dysfunction is at the heart of all biological aging and almost every chronological or every sorry, every chronic disease. So this is where keto can be so impactful. So years ago, um, I'll be 53 next week, and I remember, you know, I don't know, maybe when I was 20 or something, I kind of remember hearing the Atkins diet, right? Mm -hmm. Are we splitting hairs here between keto, Atkins, and paleo? Are they all sort of saying the same thing, just try and be a bit more on the ketosis side, but not actually, you know, trying to go into ketosis every day where you're having to check it on the stick? You know, that sort of thing. Is it just more, you know, a guideline, just eat more, uh, just eat less of the processed starchy stuff and try and be a bit more keto dependent than glucose dependent? Is that kind of what everybody's saying? There's some nuances there for sure. So first off, paleo is basically eating whole food. There's some allergens that get thrown in there that we weren't evolved for like certain grains and things like that. Uh, but the idea is eating what we were once evolved for trying to eat more whole food. Now people are, you know, doing whole 30 and some people call it ancestral. Some people call it primal, but the idea is eating more whole food, getting away from the ultra processed food. Really the new fad diet is the antibiotics, the GMOs, the artificial colors, sweeteners, flavors, the RBGH, the RBST, the you know preservatives, the glyphosate, all this crap is the new fad diet. That's what's changed in the last 80 years. It's not, it's not like that we're so far off. It's that we're just eating all these engineered foods. And I think that's the biggest problem. When you walk in a convenience store, all you see is the addiction. You see the sugar, the color, the caffeine, the alcohol, the you know the, all the packages, and and it's all impulse. It's all it's all the serotonin and dopamine. It's the desire. And so we were evolved to 
eat to live, not live to eat. And so getting to paleo is kind of rewinding that and taking away the addiction and getting more to the whole food, which makes a lot of sense. And I think that's where everyone should agree, keto or not. We should all agree, let's get back to whole food. And then so keto, uh, again, is something that raises ketones in the body, endogenously in the body, uh, which you can check by uh, urine, acetoacetate, or you can check by uh, blood BHB, beta-hydroxybutyrate. But uh, the difference between Atkins and, and a ketogenic diet is that at the beginning, the initiation phase of Atkins is a true ketogenic diet. But once you get into Atkins, it becomes more low carb and it can be very high protein. And that isn't necessarily ketogenic. And once you get above a certain level of protein, you can get into something called gluconeogenesis, which means you're converting protein over to glucose, and then it can be counterproductive at some point. So if you want to become truly fat adapted and get deeper into ketosis, then you have to keep your carbs extremely low, but you keep protein at a moderate level, like below 25% of your calories. Mm. Okay. So what I'm seeing a lot of people do is they're just saying, well, I, I just can't eat the carbs. So they're, they're doubling up on meat and chicken and you know th those kinds of things because they don't know what else to do. And they're just eating a lot more meat. But you're saying that even that can make it backfire because of the gluconeogenesis. So it, that gets converted. The protein, did you say, gets converted to carbs? Correct. Correct. And that's one of the biggest mistakes that people make why they say like, I just don't feel that good on keto. What, where's all this clarity that I'm supposed to be feeling? And, and it's because they're eating like this bodybuilder style diet of like low carb and low fat and ultra high protein. And that means you're not really adapted well for glucose and you're not really adapted well for fat. And you're kind of stuck in this neither world of trying to convert a ton of protein over to blood glucose. And you get that hangry thing where you're just irritable and your blood sugar becomes highly sensitive at just minute fluctuations. And you'll, you'll see people be like irritable and hangry and all that when they're just eating this high, high protein diet. So I think that's not ideal. And that's one of the reasons why people aren't experiencing, you know, many of the benefits of fasting or a true strict ketogenic diet where you get deeper into ketosis and you get that alertness. Okay. So if you wanted to give some practical advice, you know, we're both here in Italy tonight. We're both, I'm sure, going to go out to dinner. Um, and I have a different question about why the Italian's so skinny and nobody looks like Tony Soprano actually here <laughs> in Italy. That's another conversation. But what would you recommend that your plate sort of look like just as a, you know, an idea, obviously we're going to have some protein. It's going to be low carb, some veggies on there, some cheese maybe for fats or some nuts or what, what how do you, how do you break this down? Yeah, exactly. I think things like that, like eggs, cheese, nuts, oils, that's great. Uh, using like olive oil on top of your salads or uh, ranch dressing, 
obviously I prefer to not use the processed version and just make it yourself. You know, you can use sour cream, uh, things like that. When you have coffee, uh, instead of using half and half or skim milk, use the full fat, uh, heavy whipping cream. And so that's like, and it's delicious. You know, when you use high fat, it's, it's amazing. Uh, and you feel fully, you know, the satiety of it, you feel full. And it's just like, so if I was to give you a steak and put butter on it and say, can you eat a second steak with butter on it? It would be hard. But if I was to give you potato chips and cookies and ice cream and all these engineered high glycemic foods, it's super easy to keep eating those. They're meant for you to keep eating. And that's one of the beauties of going to whole food one and two, getting deep into ketosis. The deeper you get into ketosis, the more BHB rises, beta hydroxybutyrate, the key ketone, and you feel full. You actually get satiety from that. That's one of the reasons why when you're fasting, you don't feel hungry. It's, it's a survival mechanism, again, like the alertness, that instead of focusing on hunger, you, you have your, your hung, uh, hunger removed and you're ready to go find food. And that's one of the breakthroughs you get when you're, when you're going through fasting or when you're on a ketogenic diet. People are like, I just, I forget to eat. But when you're not doing it correctly and you're doing this high protein thing uh, or you're doing a lot of net carbs and, and you're not doing it right, then you don't get that fullness that like people talk about or the alertness that people talk about. How do you personally watch yourself from going too high protein? In other words, when you look down at your plate, is there like is there something that you see that sets the alarm off and goes, this is too much protein? Like, is there a way that we can eyeball it to know that we're, because I think, I think the mistake that most people who make the attempt to go keto is, is what we just discovered and I did not know, which is over proteining, proteining yourself. So maybe talk to that a little bit. So how do you know kind of like where you cross the line? Yeah, I think like when you, and I do this sometimes, you know, like, and, and, you know, I go to like a barbecue, like in Texas or whatever, and then load up on meat. But you know, that's a whole lot better than loading up on a ton of sugar, just because like you're converting it over to gluconeogenesis. This is way better than, you know, eating the standard American diet of like donuts and, you know, Coca-Colas and whatever, just because you're eating more meat. So it's just a question of like, you know, maybe if you're going to eat that way, then it would be good to take a walk after, do some fasting after. And that helps hit that reset and tap into that blood glucose and muscle glycogen so that you can get deeper into ketosis. So, yeah, you can limit your protein, but there's also other ways to, you know, get around that too. And so it's just, it's just making sure that you get enough fiber, get it, get enough fat and then, and keep your carbs low. And then, yeah, you need some protein. So it's just, it's, it's common for us in America to make protein the staple, like the thing that you build around. And I'm saying it's more important to build around one whole food and build around uh, making sure you get your fat in on keto uh, and then getting a moderate amount of protein. 
Okay, just for clarification, when you say build on whole food, give me a couple of examples of, of how, what you are calling whole food. So eating, like I even like over, you know, casseroles or anything, just literally eating, you know, broccoli, cauliflower, you know, salad, uh, having a chicken breast, having, you know, nuts, having, you know, things like that. Like if you were not keto, having an apple, having a banana, instead of like having uh, something that's out of a can that has the syrup that has the, you know, this and that, or, you know, that comes in a bag or a box, you know, avoiding the processed foods and sticking more towards the outside of the grocery store, the outside aisles where, you know, it's the whole food, the, the fruits, the vegetables, the dairy, the, you know, the things like that. The are meats. you, are you concerned at all with uh, things like atherosclerosis, you know, stuff like that, high cholesterol? No. So that, this is, first off, uh, I'll say it right now that cholesterol is one of the biggest scams in, in modern medicine. Uh, it's very frustrating to me. Um, hypercholesterolemia is so exaggerated. If you actually look at the data, the data shows the higher your cholesterol, the better your longevity and mortality, the better is it does not show like what you think it would show. And it's very frustrating. I, I don't know where this came about. And when you, when you get on and they keep lowering the threshold, like every five to 10 years, they keep lowering the threshold for what's considered high cholesterol. And then what happens, of course, is more people on statins. And right now, about 40% of the population in America could be prescribed statins. It's just insane. And there's there's uh, populations like the Eskimos that have cholesterols in the 600 with no incidence of heart attack, myocardial infarction. And it's it's madness to me that actually there's way more side effects and mortality risk on statins because statins uh, lower the protective cholesterol and lower, you know, cholesterol is critical for the cell integrity, like the cell wall. It's critical for your brain health. It's critical for your sex hormones. And it also causes mitochondrial dysfunction, which is why people have muscle cramps. And people have CoQ10 depletion, which is a key nutrient in mitochondrial function in the electron transport chain. So this is like it—it it, causes all kinds of issues, and it's just crazy to me. If you there's one one lipoprotein that you can look at that really is worth looking at, and it's lipoprotein A. And you want to look at what's called very low density lipoprotein. And the key one is lipoprotein A. And HDL, LDL is a calculated number that these doctors are using, and they're looking at total cholesterol or HDL, LDL, and they're not accurate. It doesn't tell you anything. LDL isn't the bad cholesterol. It's a good cholesterol. HDL is a good cholesterol as well. I mean, your body doesn't like have something like standardly bad. And so... It's, it's like just gross overgeneralization to, to say that this is a bad cholesterol, this is a good cholesterol. So it's just it's frustrating. And actually, on the ketogenic diet, the higher fat 
just like the Mediterranean diet and things like this, we're seeing have greater heart health because it's actually more protective. It doesn't make sense. And when you eat low fat, you lower HDL and like the uh, Pritikin diet and some of these diets, uh, they cause greater risk for heart attack. It's crazy. The, the whole, the whole low fat thing is also a huge farce. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you a hundred percent. This, I, I've, t- I've taken three pages of notes. This is so good. Okay. You're in Italy and tonight you may, you may be approached by some Italian waiter that says, can I get you wine with your meal? How are you going to handle that? So on keto, you can have about four ounces of red wine a day. Uh, dry red wine is preferable. So, you know, that's, that's important. The, the, the red wine is already lower in sugar. The drier it is, the better. So it's best to avoid white wines. It's best to avoid the sweeter red wines. But that's the best way to do it. And obviously, you don't want to indulge too much. But you can have four ounces, uh, you know, with a meal. And, you know, especially if you're just sipping it with a meal. And there's so many benefits that are shown with having one um, serving of alcohol a day, actually irrespective of the type of alcohol, even beer and, and a shot has been shown to help with vasodilation, increasing the size of the blood vessels and allowing for better blood flow. But certainly there's a benefit beyond that with red wine, with resveratrol and these polyphenols that are in grapes that are shown to be anti-aging that work on the CERT genes and what's called telomere link with your DNA. That's really important as a marker of aging. All right. So I'm not going to lie to you and sit here and say I'm not doing something, but I am. And I want to ask you about it. So I will go out. I love wine. I love to learn about wine. I love to go to wineries. One of the reasons why I'm in Italy is because of wine. And I li- my wife and I will go out to dinner. We'll get a bottle of wine. I'll have two glasses. She'll have two glasses. Um, obviously, that's not four ounces. How much damage am I doing? You know, the big picture is... If you're happy, one, then you're doing yourself good. I just read a new study that shows that happiness is responsible for 11 to 15% longer life. You know, that means 12 years if you just choose to be happy. That's the number one biohack, without a doubt. So my best advice is to not stress over something and enjoy the moment. Now, it's good to obviously not overindulge chronically because that's not ideal either. You need to take care of your body. But, you know, we all have different tolerances. It matters like if you're eating with the wine, if you're, you know, slowly sipping it instead of just, you know, kind of the American way of just let's pound it, you know, trying to get drunk. You know, are you drinking it over several hours? Are you enjoying it? Are you sipping? Are you you know, breathing in the bouquet, like, you know, that, and, and you're probably doing that. So I am. Um, yeah. So there's a difference when you're, you know, drinking to tie one on and drinking because you really enjoy the moment and it's a nice night and this is a special wine and you're on a special vacation. So, you know, I think that that all has to be taken into account as the context of it. 
why are so many of the Italians that I see here, I see them eating pasta all the time, but they don't look overweight at all. What's happening? Yeah, it's really interesting. And I'm taking that in. Of course, I travel all over the world and, you know, watch in people in China that eat the rice and, you know, all these things. And I think the biggest thing is that it goes back to that whole food thing that they're not eating foods that make them overeat, that override satiety. And that's what's changed. Keto is is a hack, is a, is a biohack, essentially, that that it's a way to fix the broken uh, metabolism, the, the mitochondrial dysfunction. It's a way to, to reset that. These people don't have that issue because they exercise, they fast, they eat low glycemic carbohydrate. They're, first off, their pasta and bread is so different from ours. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm trying it here and you get super full. It feels hearty right? It's just very different. And they eat more al dente. And so it's, it's, you know, it's not ultra processed. And, and that's a big thing. Like all this stuff that we're getting in our diet, I mean, there's been studies done. Here's an example of just the beverage that you're having. Like if you have, uh, I think the study was done with sweet tea, which is common in the South, that people ate 40% more calories ad libitum, which means just eating freely when they had the sweet tea at the table. So, you know, you watch these people in Italy, they're drinking water. They're drinking, you know, maybe like a glass of red wine over a couple hours, but they always drink water. They're not drinking soft drinks. No, and doesn't, doesn't and, exist. Right. And you're also watching them walk to these restaurants and you're watching them, you know, skip breakfast or you know like eat eat late or whatever right and and so it's just so different they're not fixing the broken that we have and i'm not saying that carbs are evil it's not that's not the case because most cultures have eaten a high carb throughout time it's just we're eating crap and this is a way to fix that that's a great answer. I love that answer. Let's touch on uh, fasting. A lot of people talk about fasting. Um, one of the guys, I'm doing an event here in Florence um, for uh, my work hard, play hard experience. And the hotel, that's the host hotel, is this big fancy schmancy place. And so I sat down uh, with the owner the other day and he was showing me some pictures, asking me if I know these guys. And he showed me a picture of uh, Peter Atia. And uh, I said, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know him personally, but I have a lot of respect for him. He's a great doc. And he said, uh, he turned me on to this app um, called Zero. Have you heard of this? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I started using it and I'm basically setting myself up for a, you know, you just click it when you, um, when you want to start your fast. And then when you're done with your fast, you click it. And the idea is so that you can get, you know, you could set the fast for whatever you want, like a 16 hour window and you know, however. So I've been setting it for a 16 hour window. So the question is, is that a good idea as a practice, as a daily practice for me to have an eight hour eating window and fast for 16 of those? I think that's super ideal. The only reservation I would have there is if you're someone okay. 
if you're someone that's fixated on food and has an eating disorder, sometimes fasting can be an issue. And so if you have an eating disorder, I would, I would try and work with a psychologist and a dietitian around that first. But because uh, you do see people with eating disorders kind of mask their eating disorders by saying I'm doing fasting and, you know, things like that. But mm. most of the time, for most of us, we need to be doing more fasting. Uh, when we say, oh, I'm starving, hardly. That is hardly the case. It is really good that we let insulin go down, that we let growth hormone go up, that we let some of these growth factors go up, that we let autophagy happen, which is cellular cleanup and detox. That's truly anti-aging. And there's even something called mitophagy that's cleaning up the mitochondria, which again, is probably the most important thing where everything in medicine is going. I believe in the next 10 years, all we'll be talking about is mitochondrial health. And so fasting allows for a lot of these things to happen. It's kind of like you know, if you're using your phone and you have 10 apps running and you've got full screen brightness on and you've got Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and whatever, you run the battery down super quick, obviously. And if you do something to put it in like airplane mode and turn down the screen brightness a little bit and then use your phone, well, it's going to last a lot longer. And the same is true with your body to, to get into... Uh, a state of uh, rest and digest, which is the, the parasympathetic nervous system instead of we're always usually in the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight, just pushing the limit, eating, going, you know, whatever, just like listening to the music and, and stimulated. And we rarely take time to meditate, to fast, to get into a state of rest and relaxation uh, like we should. And so fasting is really an important piece. I think another important aspect of fasting is that it gives you willpower. When everyone else is eating, you know, chips and bread and whatever, and they say, oh, we need to go out to lunch and we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to eat three times a day, four times a day, five times a day, you can say, it's mm, not on my window, I'm not eating right now. And that gives you willpower not only to make yourself healthier in terms of all these benefits, autophagy, ketones, etc. But you start making decisions that are empowered, that you're not peer pressured, that you don't feel like you have to do something because other people are doing them. So I believe fasting is, okay. is a really powerful tool. And that's why you see fasting like in all the, the spiritual practices, fasting is core, right? Because it elevates ketones which allows for that mental alertness, allows you to connect to yourself spiritually, like lets you, you know, get into that quiet place. I think fasting is really powerful. Okay. When I'm done with the fast, I break the fast around, usually around 12 or 1, depending, depending on when my last meal was. And uh, Mark Sisson's got this thing called Big Ass Salad, which is basically what it sounds like. And I do one of those. But I'm starving. Like after the, like I, the salad will work for like an hour or two. And then I, then I'll do like a protein shake and I feel like I am overdoing it on the nuts because I just feel like I'm starving and I'm also working out in the morning, you know, while I'm fasted. Do you have any tips for people that 
during that eight hour window, you know, who feel like they just, you know, want to eat, you know, a couch because they're starving. Yeah. Well, it's important that in that eight hour window that you're actually eating your maintenance calories. Um, sometimes, sometimes you can get into a situation where like maybe instead of eating, I don't know what your maintenance calories are. You're a healthy guy. Like it could be 2,500, 3,000 calories. You're active. Yeah that yep. it might be hard to eat the 3000 calories in that window. And if you do it consistently, sometimes again, you'll be forgetting to eat because ketones are elevated because your, your stomach stretch reflex is, is reduced. And so you're not eating as much maybe as you should. So you're, you're, you are getting hungry with leptin and ghrelin and some of these, these hunger sensors. So that could be it. I don't know if that's it, but if, if you're eating, another aspect could be adding keto to the fasting would help. Certainly eating paleo would help. So if you're eating whole food, again, it's more filling. If you're eating high fat, it's more filling because you're getting deeper into ketosis, which really augments the fasting. Makes perfect sense to me. Why do you call your company Zone Halo? <laughs> Uh, it, it sounded cool. Uh, one, I'm a, I'm a spiritual person, not necessarily religious, but just deeply spiritual. And I always liked the, um, angelic imagery, but I also thought like the name of that video game, I've never been a video gamer, but I always liked the name of it. I just thought it sounded cool. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, like twilight zone. I'm a sci-fi guy. I just, I just mashed these things up. It just sounded cool to me. There's no real like deep scientific reasoning for it. Uh, yeah, I, w- I was like, it must be like deep, deep keto. It's halo <laughs> keto. Okay, got it. All right. So in the in the remaining uh, five minutes that we have, we'll do the rapid fire round. Answer as quickly or as slowly as you like. It's basically a first thing that comes to mind. Round. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? Wow. Uh, I think my biggest superpower is empathy. Hmm. What's one of the things you're afraid of right now? Uh, I think because I've been suicidal and depressed in the past that it's always something that's, that's always there. Like if, if maybe my life goes off the rails that, you know, I, I have some fear that that could come you know, coming back to me, like it could just, I could just get very depressed and potentially suicidal again. Mm. What keeps you up at night? Work, but in a good way. I think I love what I do. I'm very passionate about teaching people, helping people, coming up with new ingredients, doing formulas. I have a hard time turning it off. I enjoy talking about it to people. Uh, It's something that's super exciting to me. So I think that tells me that I'm doing what I love and I love what I do and I should just keep going. I love that. I have a mastermind full of people that love what they do, but they do it too much and they miss out on a lot of other things in life. So if I could stick my nose where it doesn't belong and tell you to take up guitar or something. Uh, (laughs) I did want to work with you on this very thing. So your whole mastermind definitely resonates with me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we do it. Cause everybody's like, it doesn't feel like work. I'm like, yeah, I know But there's a lot of other things in the world you could be doing. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? 
Man, these are good questions that I've never been asked before. This is a great one. I like, I love talking about music and movies. Uh, I'm a super nerd. I, I know tons and tons of music. I love movies. I especially like sci-fi and fantasy. I'm, I'm very nerdy. Uh, so I love talking about that stuff. And usually it's about science and supplements and all the things. But sometimes it'd be nice to just talk about, I don't know, Star Trek or something. Well, I, I'm going to give you a little gift here. Go to uh, Joe Rogan's, I think, most recent podcast at the date of this recording with Steve Aoki, uh, oh, the music yes. uh, DJ. Did you listen yeah. to it? No, no, I love was, him, though. Okay, listen, listen to it, because it is exactly what you just described. It's Steve Aoki talking about his love of music. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's Steve Aoki's dad was um, Rocky Aoki, who started Benihana. And... He talks about music, and he talks about Ray Kurzweil, the singularity, um, and uh, he's uh, going to have Ray Kurzweil actually do a. Uh, he's actually going to record him speaking on one of his electronic dubstep tracks. It's kind of trippy, but you will absolutely love the interview. It's three hours of like cryogenics talk. It's really freaking good. Wow. Um, okay. That sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna love it. What's the one thing that you want to get better at? I just want to continue to really grow with my heart. Like uh, sometimes I feel like I'm a good person, but then I, I look at other people that are just so generous and so kind and just have like this glow of joy around them. And that's where I want to be. I feel like that's what success is. People think success is money. But it's all about the happiness. Like I just said, you live 12 extra years and it's so important to have the joy. Like money should be a way to get more joy, not, a, not an end to itself. So I just want to pursue more joy and, and find out how to unlock more life from that. I want to get more life out of my years than just years out of my life, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. What book have you reread or re-listened to the most? Four Agreements, thousand percent. Mm, yeah, it's a good one. That's that's a that's a game changer for me. That changed my life big time. Uh, it changed my whole life path. Like especially the uh, yeah. you know just uh, really feeling like the people are people are projecting out their negativity on you like that you know don't take anything personal and that that was a game changer for me love that what's your guilty pleasure mm, probably uh again the, the nerdy stuff the you know graphic novels and um my favorite author is brian k vaughn if you want to read graphic novels like this guy is like next level brilliant author his stories are like better than anything in movies on tv like just amazing stuff like if you like westworld or mr robot or like mm. really complex stuff you'd love brian k vaughn or like her right the movie her mm -hmm. exactly okay yeah. cool yeah yeah got it what's the one thing you own and you probably should throw out but you never will these questions are amazing and really have me thinking. Um, wow. One thing I should throw out. Gosh. 
I mean, probably some of my old clothes, I guess, that, that have some memories attached to well, them. What's the one thing that you should throw you uh-huh. should throw out, but you're never gonna but you're never gonna do it. You probably should, but you're not going to. I mean, probably just I have like my so I do cyclical and targeted ketogenic dieting. So I do live life and I do still enjoy my as I'm I told you I was a junk food junkie. So I look forward to my days where I play volleyball all day and I have things like Coke or gummy bears or Oreos or things like that on those days that probably isn't the healthiest thing for me, but I feel like I earn them. I've, I'm fat adapted, I'm keto adapted. So, uh, you know, and back by, by the end of the day, I'm back in ketosis. So probably that stuff, but for me, it's, you know, it's just a guilty pleasure that, you know, I still, I still do. I love it. Okay. Last question. Let's change things up a little bit. What one question would you like to ask me? Uh, I think what, what has been the most impactful learning that you've had that you pass on to your mastermind that, uh, maybe was an epiphany to you. You hit a point in your life that you can easily add up how many years you have left on the planet. And if you're willing to extrapolate that down just a little bit to how many summers you have left, if you live the average male or female lifespan, and it puts it in a proper light in which to realize that we're not living forever and that there's so many things that we want to get to that we need to take the time to actually schedule to get to. So for example, I have roughly 28-ish summers left if I live the average American lifespan. My, uh, to take that even further, my mom is still alive in New York and I probably see her once or twice a year. And she probably, you know, based on averages has three, four years left. So if I see her, let's, let's say we, I see her twice a year and she's got, you know, roughly four years left. I have eight times left to see my mother before she's gone and putting those things into realizing that I have 28 summers makes me calculate very, very carefully what I want to do with those 28 summers. And while I'm speaking to you in this summer, I'm looking out at the Duomo in Florence, Santa Croce, and off in the distance, I'm looking at the hills of Chianti. And this is by design. This is because I wanted this in my life. And I've spent the last three months traveling all over Europe because I recognize how fast it goes. No matter how much I love what it is that I do, there's so many things that I just don't want to miss out on. And there's so many things I want to learn. So I would say that's the epiphany. Not, I know that was a bit of a ramble, but did that answer the question? Oh man, that's super powerful. There's a poem that reminds me of that, that yeah. uh, I forget who wrote it, but it's, it's that we tend to view life as an in, inexhaustible well. And, you know, he says something about like, you know, we see only so many full moons in our life. You know, we think that we're going to see hundreds of them, but how many do we really see? You know, like all these, these moments, like, you know, when we see the ocean, 
we're not going to see it a hundred more times necessarily. You know, it's just, everything is finite. Uh, that's, yeah, that's really profound, especially about your mom. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and, you know, that's, that's the case for everybody, you know? So, yeah, man, I, I've really, really enjoyed this and, uh, you are definitely doing, uh, God's work here. This is, uh, you're, you're changing people's lives. I see all the, the comments. There's no doubt in my mind that the reason why you have been given all of this, all of the accolades and why, you know, everybody from John Tesh to CNN to everybody in between wants to have you in their studio to interview you is because, um, you're doing something that's changing the world. So I just want to acknowledge you for that. Thank you for taking the time for little old me. Thank you so much. That means so much from you. And and I really appreciate you and everything that you're doing as well. You got it, buddy. Until we do part two. All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.